calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to the Fantasy Magazine Story Podcast. I am your temporary host, whose voice will fade away, but will nonetheless introduce you to a stunning fantasy. In this episode, listen to How to Make a Man Love You by Hannah Yang, narrated by Stefan Rudnicki. Fantasy Magazine is edited by world fantasy finalists Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg. Our podcast is produced by Skyboat Media. Hannah Yang is a speculative fiction writer who loves all things strange and surreal. Her stories have appeared or are forthcoming in Analog Science Fiction, Daily Science Fiction, The Dark Magazine, Nightmare Magazine, and other marvelous publications. She has a BA from Yale University and lives in Colorado. When she's not busy writing, you can find her painting watercolors, playing her ukulele, or hiking in the Rockies. Follow her work on hannayang.com or on Twitter. So, join us for a getaway from the real world. Have we got a fantasy for you? How to Make a Man Love You by Hannah Yang Zion meets Cecilia on the first day of freshman year. He does not believe in love at first sight, but he does believe in the scientific method, and what is this moment if not empirical evidence of the former? She is like no one he has met before. Black hair pulled into a messy bun, bare arms laden with books, brown eyes ardent as a summer storm. They bump into one another on their way into Woolsey Hall, sending Cecilia's books and papers scattering, and by the time they've picked everything back up, they've exchanged phone numbers and made plans to have dinner the next evening. It's the perfect meet-cute. A storybook moment that Zayan will retell many times, to friends and colleagues and chatty Uber drivers, until it becomes a dog-eared page in the narrative of his life. 
Cecilia will confess years later that this wasn't actually the first time they'd met. Months prior to bumping into each other at Woolsey, they were paired up for an icebreaker event during Bulldog Days. They exchanged names, hometowns, favorite movies. They even sat next to one another at lunch afterwards. When she describes these things, Zayan will insist that she's mistaken. He remembers that encounter, but feels certain he was paired with a different person entirely, some dull girl with a braying laugh and desperate eyes. He studies physics, she studies fairy tales. English literature, technically, but it's fairy tales that she loves best. They read together in the library stacks. She brings her own books with titles that bewilder him. East Asian Magic, The New Grimoire, Ancient Witchcraft for the Modern Woman, he has never given much thought to anything without a disprovable null hypothesis, but he finds it endearing that she does. When he brushes a strand of hair out of her face, she glances up, her eyes dreamy, her mind far away. When he teases her about the things she believes in, she graces him with a laugh that sounds like tinkling bells. She cooks for him often, even though they both have unlimited meal plans in the dining halls, and so Zayan now has access to dishes that the dining halls don't provide, Persian food and Chinese food, and often some fusion of the two which he either loves or hates. They eat together in his dorm room while his roommate studies a few feet away, in her dorm room while her sweetmates play drinking games around the table, on old campus autumn leaves falling around them. He associates Cecilia with liminal spaces, in-between spaces, like the sun-baked line of sand between the sea and the road, or the illegible scrawl of time between waking and dreaming. Something about Cecilia always makes Zayan feel like she is too good to be true, and the only response he knows is to hold on tighter. He proposes to her the week after graduation. His parents are hesitant about the cultural gap between their two families, but to Zayan's surprise, his older brother Farhan is the only one who strongly objects to their engagement. It's just that you're moving too fast, Farhan tells him over the phone the day after the engagement is announced. If she's really the one for you, there's no harm in waiting. We've been together four years. Mom and Dad only knew each other two months before they married. That was different. With Cecilia, I just feel that there's something off about her. Take all that witchcraft stuff she's into. That stuff gives me the creeps. Zion tries to keep his voice calm. She's my future wife. You don't have to like her hobbies, but you can't call her creepy. Farhan doesn't bring up his concerns again, and soon their relationship smooths back to the easy banter it's always had. Zayan pushes his brother's worries to the back of his mind. Farhan has always been overprotective. He spent years defending Zayan from their parents' unhappiness at home. Of course, he would see a threat in Cecilia, too. After the wedding, the newlyweds move into a small apartment in Boston where they can both start their careers. Cecilia at a small publishing house, and Zayan at a research lab. 
They have two children, both boys, one right after the other. Cecilia wants a third, but Ali and Asim keep her so busy already that Zayan sees no need to sign up for more. She takes to motherhood the same way she's taken to every challenge in the past. She prepares special meals for the growing boys. She chauffeurs them to one extracurricular after another. She reads storybooks to them every night, all three of them falling asleep together until Zayan comes to wake her. Each time he looks at her, he feels so lucky he could burst. There are moments. A night when he opens the bathroom door, unaware that she's inside, and sees her reflection in the mirror, makeup smudged into the creases around her eyes. A week when he goes on a business trip and comes home to a woman older and crabbier than the girl he fell in love with. Still, over the course of their marriage, his brain becomes adept at lying to itself, patching over these inconsistencies. Whenever Cecilia isn't around, his mental version of her solidifies further, congealing into the romantic ideal of a woman. His love for this perfect woman never wavers, from their perfect meeting to their perfect wedding to each perfect anniversary that follows. He could have lived his whole life this way, tracing a constellation from one storybook moment to another, if not for the summer when his brother Farhan comes to visit. Farhan arrives unexpectedly one afternoon with a suitcase in each hand. The only explanation he gives with a stoic kind of misery is that his wife, Noor, has filed for separation. Zayan has always been used to Farhan being the strong one, the capable one, the one who sang silly songs to cheer him up whenever their parents were fighting in the other room. He doesn't know how to switch roles. Uh, do you want something to eat? he asks tentatively. Farhan nods. Uh, that'd be great. I'm half-starved. Zayan checks the fridge. The only thing ready-made is half a pot of the ashreshte Cecilia made last night, his favorite noodle soup. He microwaves a bowl for each of them. Farhan downs most of his in a few slurps. This is delicious. Uh, what's your secret ingredient? Uh, turmeric, probably. That's not a secret ingredient, man. That's part of every ashreshte recipe. You'll have to ask Cecilia, then. One second, Farhan grins. I thought you'd never ask. Cecilia comes home, humming to herself, both of the boys in tow. Ali and Asim run upstairs, loud and boisterous as always. She smiles politely when she sees the two men sitting together at the dining table, but her smile darkens when she sees their empty bowls. Zayan clears his throat. Farhan needs to stay with us for a while. I'm sorry it's so last minute. Of course. You're welcome to stay as long as you like. Zayan watches the way Farhan's gaze follows Cecilia across the room. He'd expected to see distrust there. He'd been resigned to it, even. But instead, what he sees is something more like open desire. What are you looking at? Nothing, Farhan says, a little too quickly. You're a lucky guy, that's all. It's rare for a woman to look even better at forty than she did on her wedding day. The hunger in his brother's eyes makes Zayan uneasy. Hey, back off. 
He has never seen Farhan ogle a woman this way, like he can't help himself. Perhaps he's been jealous of Cecilia this whole time. Perhaps that's why he objected to their engagement. But something about that theory feels wrong. For the first time, Zayan feels a seed of doubt take hold in the back of his mind. Over the next few days, this seed grows roots and begins to sprout. Zayan stops eating the meals that Cecilia serves him, spitting each bite back into his napkin when she looks away. He sneaks down to the halal corner store once or twice a day to buy pre-made sandwiches and packs of jerky that he devours on the walk home. When Cecilia discovers one of the receipts in his pocket, she seems to find it funny. Thirty dollars worth of snacks in two days? You'd think I haven't been feeding you properly. He chuckles nervously. Of all the marital problems we might someday have, my love, that one's last on the list. She lets out a braying laugh. Now, for the first time, he sees her clearly. All his memories of their storybook relationship fall apart under closer examination, a silver thread unspooling. That night, when Cecilia takes the boys to soccer practice, Zion searches through her belongings, her nightstand, her wardrobe, her purse. At last he tries the bookshelves in their small home library. It feels like an intrusion, his being here, even more so than looking through her things. This has always been Cecilia's space, not his. He finds nothing unusual. After so many years working in publishing, most of her books are mainstream and respectable, novels and biographies, and little about magic or witchcraft. It takes him a while to find them. All the books she read in college are hidden in the back behind the books she reads for work. He thumbs through them. There are pages she's marked up and highlighted in one book after another, a pattern impossible to refute. Ancient Persian love potion recipes, concoctions to bewitch and beguile, how to make a man love you. The story of his perfect marriage shatters like a bottle smashed against concrete. When she comes home that night, he can't bring himself to look her in the eyes. Looking at her, trying to love her, hurts like trying to pick up broken glass with bare fingers. He doesn't know what's real and what's false anymore. He needs time away to think, to plan. He leaves the next morning while she's asleep and calls her from the airport so he won't have to see her face. I'm on my way to New York for a couple of days, he says. Sorry for the late notice. The static on the line blurs her voice. New York? Farhan wants to go apartment hunting. He needs my help. I wish you'd told me earlier, she says, her voice unreadable. I would have cooked you something for the trip. The thought gives him chills. We're about to board, he lies. I'll call you when I land. In New York, Zayan fills his hours following Farhan to single-bedroom apartments. They visit Brooklyn brownstones and Manhattan high-rises, spaces filled with fake fruit and used furniture. One night in New York turns into two, then three. Away from Cecilia, his thoughts become legible. He pins down their flapping corners, forces them to hold still so he can examine them properly.
Cecilia isn't real. Not his version of her, anyway. The thought makes no sense to him, and yet he knows it to be true. This isn't what he'd wanted. This isn't what he'd thought his marriage would be. He wants to ask for Han for advice, but he knows his brother will never forgive Cecilia once he knows what she's done. And Zayan isn't ready, not yet, for so permanent a fallout. For Han doesn't bring up Noor, either. The last open house they attend is full of couples who comment incessantly to their partners, and the two brothers stand out in their silence. The real estate agent, a chirpy woman wearing lipstick too pale for her skin, ushers them from one room to the next with a rush of effervescent chatter. The place is exactly what Farhan has been looking for. The stainless steel kitchen, the red brick walls, the bay windows. In the bedroom, one of the women whispers to her husband, This place is a steal. I heard someone died in here a few years ago, another woman says. That's why the property value went down. The real estate agent appears behind her to interject quickly, nervously. There was an unfortunate incident, yes, but it won't affect your experience here. The house is in perfect condition. A few of the couples murmur in discontent. The first woman takes her husband by the elbow and walks him out. Zion watches as Farhan looks up the incident on his phone. I kind of wish I didn't know about this, Farhan says after a moment. This place was really growing on me. At least you can make an informed decision now. Farhan shrugs, puts his phone back in his pocket. Informed about what? Not knowing wouldn't have hurt me. Zion pauses. Then forget you heard it. Focus on the stuff that matters. Could you see yourself being happy here? Yeah, I think so. Farhan furrows his brow. I didn't realize it until now, but I think I've been unhappy for a long time. They're both silent for a while. Maybe it's for the best that Noor left me, Farhan says. We both deserved more. Zion stares out at the Manhattan skyline. He has not been unhappy, not the way Farhan has been. But maybe he deserves more, too. He would be well within his rights to leave Cecilia and start over with someone new, someone with whom the magic would be real, someone simultaneously perfect and true. When Zion comes home, for he does eventually come home, Cecilia has Ashreshte waiting on the table. She's turned out the lights and lit the candles, the expensive ones they usually save for birthdays and guests. Now, of course, he sees her as she really is. She is plain, dull, uninteresting. He sits down at the dinner table, but doesn't touch his food. They speak of his trip, the kids, her week at work. The conversation begins to crumple in on itself. In a transparent attempt to save it, Cecilia shows him pictures of their friend's newborn daughter, a red-cheeked creature with enormous eyes and a pink bow tied across her forehead. "'I know what you're doing,' he says, after a few of these. She raises her eyebrows. "'Ambushing you with cute baby photos so you'll agree to give the boys a little sister? Okay, you got me. Guilty as charged. The love potions.' She grows very still. 
For a moment, he imagines every possible response she might give. She will deny it, laugh at his accusation, tell him he needs to see a therapist. Or she will grow cold and calculating, ask him how he figured it out, negotiate a path forward with him. Or she will fall to her knees and beg him to forgive her, promise never to bewitch him again. None of these things happen. Cecilia only nods, as though she's expected this moment for a long time. Why did you keep the recipe books, he asks. You must have memorized them by now. I think a part of me wanted you to find them. He feels bewildered. You could have just told me then. I couldn't have. I'm not that brave. More softly, she says. I loved you from the first time we had lunch together. This was the only way you would love me back. It wasn't the only way. We could have dated like normal people. Look at me, she says, with a faint tremor in her voice. Would you ever have said yes? Zion doesn't answer. He doesn't need to. They both know. And yet, it's true, too, that the texture of his love has changed over the twenty years they've shared together. Love at forty isn't as simple as it was in college. Can't be pinned down to a single chain of cause and effect. There is no way now to disentangle the illusion from the real. He loves her now, not just because of the way she once entranced him, but because of something deeper, the generous way she spends her time, the gentle way she raises their sons. He remembers years ago, when Cecilia was nearing the end of her labor with Asim after nearly two days of pushing and screaming and trying to breathe, while Zayan stood helpless by her side, in a moment of lucidity, she made him promise to take care of Ali if she didn't make it. There was the same tremor in her voice then. Slowly, he lifts a spoonful of soup to his mouth and swallows it clean. Welcome back. You've been listening to Stefan Rudnicki narrating How to Make a Man Love You by Hannah Yang. We hope you enjoyed this offering. If so, please help spread the word by leaving a review or rating at iTunes or on the social media venue of your choice. Our editors are Christy Yant and Arlie Sorg. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Adamant Press. Our sponsor this month is Flatiron Books, whose current feature title is Ordinary Monsters by J.M. Miro. We publish Fantasy Magazine and this podcast for free, but please consider our many subscription options or recurring patronage at fantasy-magazine.com support slash subscribe. Skyboat Media, the most respected independent audio production team on the West Coast, produces the audio stories for this podcast. They are headed by the Audi and Grammy Award-winning narrators Stefan Rutnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Be sure to check out their website at skyboatmedia.com. Post-production was by Jim Freund, and our music was composed and performed by Jack Kincaid. Thank you for listening. 
Wishing you cheers from all of us at Fantasy Magazine. It is time to release you back to reality for now. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.